As you do that, grab your seat, get your Bible, and let's go to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. 55. Verse 6, it says, Seek the Lord while you can find Him. How many know that's a good idea? You know, make the most of the opportunity you have. In other words, we're in church this morning. Let's come with faith. Let's come believing God. Let's seek Him while He may be found. There's something about the corporate gathering of God's people where you can discover God in a greater way than you can by yourself. And here it says, right at the start, seek the Lord while you can find Him. In other words, make the most of the opportunity you have. Call on Him while He is near. Let the wicked... The wicked, you know, the wicked is often that person down the street who we don't like. Whoa. Could it be that sometimes we are the wicked people? You know, the Bible says, Search our heart and see if there be any wicked way within us. You know, I don't know about you, but when I've allowed God to search my heart, He's pointed out some wicked ways. On, yeah. So let's not dismiss that. It says, Let the wicked change their ways. Here's the good news you can change your way. Let the wicked change their way and banish the very thoughts of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that He may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for He will forgive, He will forgive generously. That's good news. He won't just dab a little bit and hope it covers it. No, He will pour it out here and He says He will forgive generously. There's no sin too big that He can't forgive. That's good news. Somebody needs to get excited this morning because we serve a God who forgives generously. Uh, verse 8, well known, it says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, how many know there's a gap between the earth and heaven? It's quite big, it's quite large. And here he says, for just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So, so when it comes to our thinking, our thinking is nowhere near God's thinking. There's a massive gap between God's ways and our ways. That's why we need the Word of God, so that we can align our thinking. Now, a lot of us, we think our thinking is you know, in the ballpark. It's roundabout. But could it be that our thoughts are so far from God's thoughts and we don't even know it? Could it be that our ways are so removed from God's ways that we're going down a track thinking we're on the right path, but we're on the wrong path? Here, this verse just helps us know that God's ways are totally different than our ways. You know, in fact, Jesus said it when it comes to the kingdom. He said, if you want to live, you've got to die. If you want to find your life, you've got to lose your life. If you want to increase, you've got to give it away. How many know that's remote, that's distant to how the world thinks? And here God says His ways are higher than our ways. Verse 10, it says, The rain and the snow come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause grain to grow and they produce seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. Take note in this verse. There's so much in this that there's rain and snow. They come down from heaven. 
Rain meets the immediate need of the ground. It meets the immediate need. Snow, over time, becomes water, and over time, it meets the need. Here, it says, from heaven, the rain and the snow come, uh, come down. Sometimes in life, we don't get immediate answers. How many would like some immediate answers right now? You know, sometimes it's not immediate. Sometimes it is, you get rain, but other times you get snow. Where snow settles on the ground and you just need the light, the sun to shine on it so it can nurture the ground underneath. So it's rain and snow. But he also says here, he gives seed to the farmer and he gives bread to the hungry. Again, seed to the farmer doesn't meet the immediate need. But bread to the hungry does. So God wants to meet your immediate need, but not not just your immediate need. He wants to give you seed. And if you'd sow that seed, how many know that's going to meet your long-term need? So God's got your current sorted out, but He's also got your future sorted out. He gives bread and He gives seed. He gives rain and He gives snow. Come on, that's good news this morning. It's the same, He says, with my word. So sometimes when you sit in church, you get a word that hits you right where you are right now. But other times you get seed that's deposited in your life. And it's not for now, but it's for your future. That's why, oh, I didn't get much out of church today. No, you just got snow. No, you just got seed. That's why you're, you're, not, you're not there yet, but you're going to be prepared because you got seed now that's for your future days. He says, it's the same with my word. I send it out and it always, somebody say, it always. I'm convinced it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to. And it will prosper everywhere. Everywhere I send it. You will have joy and peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song. That's where the sound of music came from. And the trees of the field will clap their hands. Where once there were thorns, cypress trees will grow. And where nettles grew, nasty things, myrtles will sprout up. These events will bring great honor to the Lord's name. And they will be an everlasting sign of His power and love. Well, today the title of my message is, Don't Let Your Ego Be Your Amigo. Don't let your ego be your amigo. Don't let your ego be your amigo. How many know when you're convinced of something, you're prepared to risk all? Uh, you're prepared to put it on the line. You know, that's why we have the saying, you need to put your money where your mouth is. If you're really convinced, you need to put some substance behind this. Don't just give me your opinion. Come on, put some skin in the game. If you're really convinced, If you're really assured, you need to back it up. Now, I found today we live in this health and safety crazy world. How many get frustrated a little bit by the health and safety regulations out there? Don't get me wrong. I love the things where we need to keep things safe. But sometimes the policy is driven around a random act happening. It happens once. And, and so now we need a policy to make sure this, this random act, this anomaly, never happens again. And, and we've got all these crazy policies out there that are stopping people living life. You know, on the playground, you can't play bull rush these days. 
in some places. Man, Bull Rush was the game back in my day and age. It was an easy game to play. But we live in this PC world right now that's even stopped Bull Rush because one kid got injured. And now nobody is allowed to play Bull Rush. You know, I heard the other day that, you know, some restaurants today won't let you take doggy bags home because they're scared that they might be liable if you leave that food for a couple of days and eat it and get food poisoning. And it will come back to them. How many reckon you should always be allowed to take doggy bags home? And in the end, it's your responsibility if you leave it on the bench and it goes off. You know, we live in a world today that removes responsibility. In fact, I heard of a story so crazy in the UK. There was two policemen. They were chasing a, a teenager. The teenager jumps off the bridge, jumps into the water, and just watches this teenager drown. Afterwards, the policemen were interviewed as to why they didn't get in and help him. And they said, well, we haven't done our water safety program yet. And they watched a young child drown because they hadn't gone through a program. Now, we live in this world where nobody is prepared to take responsibility. Everybody's trying to remove themselves of liability. Nobody wants to be liable. You know, we live in this risk-adverse world. Now, today, we have to outline the obvious. We have to outline what is common sense. And we've got a generation who are growing up who are risk adverse. When it comes to the kingdom, the kingdom is lived by faith. There's risk involved when it comes to experiencing the kingdom of God at work in your life. I like what Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, verse 20. He talks about the kingdom and he says, now when asked, by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God will come, he answered and he said to them, said to them, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. It does not come being a spectator. It does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here and see there. For indeed, the kingdom of God is within you. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's in you. Now, we've talked during the series, if something is not in you, nothing around you, no sign will be able to convince you. Some of us need to stop looking for a sign because you already have what you need and it's in you. The kingdom of God is in you. You don't need a sign to do what God's called you to do. You just need to believe in the one who is in you. Come on, you don't need a hide. Your destiny, because you've got all these unanswered questions, you need to reach out in faith and believe in the one who spoke the world into being. Your answer is not outside of you. Your answer is in you. But we have these questions. Well, what if I get it wrong? What if I fail? See, I found the kingdom works when you're prepared to risk failure. The kingdom works when you risk reputation. After all, that's what Jesus did. He made himself of no reputation. But many of us, if we're to be honest, we're limited in our kingdom expression 
of the kingdom working in us and through us simply because we're, we, we like our reputation. Uh, we like to be thought well of by other people. But until you're prepared to lose, here's the deal, you'll never find. See, you can't hold on to your reputation and take hold of what God has for you. I love the poem that, that Leo Berselli, he said, to laugh is to risk being a fool. To weep is to risk appearing sentimental. To reach out to another is to risk involvement. To express feelings is to risk exposing your true self. To place your ideas, your dreams before a crowd is to risk loss. To love is to risk not being loved in return. To live is to risk dying. To hope is to risk despair. To try is to risk failure. The person who risks nothing does nothing. He has nothing and is nothing. Only the person who risks is truly free. If, if we're to be honest, some of us are bound because we're not risking anything. We've got to understand, as Isaiah pointed out, that our ways are totally different to God's way. Uh, you can't combine the two. There's no hybrid. Uh, there's no mixing together. There's God's way and then there's our way. And the separation of them is, is equal to the distance between heaven and earth. So it's not a little bit of my way and God's way. No, there's God's way, and then there's my way. My way and God's way. The two are miles apart. That's why Isaiah pointed out there. And when it comes to the kingdom of God, it, it has its own health and safety policy. And, and safety in the kingdom of God is found by following Him. If the safety in the kingdom of God is putting your trust in Him, not your circumstances, but in Him and Him alone. The Bible says if you trust in the Lord, the psalmist says, you will never be put to shame. When you go on a bushwalk, you know, they always tell you, you need to keep on track. You got off track, you're in danger. But you need to follow the track. And if you follow the track, that will get you to your destination. But how many know somebody always has a better way? I know a shortcut. <laughs> a, a shortcut. I found the longest distance between A and B is a shortcut. And, and when it comes to kingdom purpose, there's no shortcuts. There's God's way. It's not, oh, well, I'll do my way for a period of time and then I'll, I'll jump into God's way. No, it's God's way, my way. They're totally separate. And that's why we need to be convinced that God's way will take us to the place that we want to go. So you can't go your way and have the benefits of God's way. You can't eat your cake and eat God's cake too. You can't enter the promised land and still remain in Egypt. You've got to leave Egypt to go into the promised land. That's why you can't let your ego be your amigo. See, when it comes to kingdom living and apprehending what the kingdom is, the kingdom and your pride cannot coexist. 
Uh, they don't go together. Uh, it's a repellent. Pride is a repellent to God's grace. Kingdom requires that you continually, on an ongoing basis, put your pride on the line. You put it on the line. See, pride can manifest itself in different ways. And one of the ways that masks itself, I I believe, is self-preservation. I just got to preserve my wealth. Preserve me is self-preservation. And so we don't risk. We don't venture out. Because what if it goes wrong? What if I fail? Uh, what if I, I lose my reputation? And we live, what we do is we live cautious rather than living convinced. Uh, I, I find many people that have a cautious Christianity rather than a convinced Christianity. Uh, they're cautious. Yeah, they come in and hear messages of faith, but in their daily living, they're cautious, not convinced. I really believe God is raising up a church of people who live convinced and not cautious. Come on, the early church, they weren't cautious. They were convinced. They risked their life. They risked their reputation. They risked their possessions. So much so that they were persecuted for what they believed. In fact, a whole other world knows that Jesus is Lord because the lengths that they were prepared to go to. The fact that the apostles were martyred proved to many in that day, in that time, that Jesus was real. It was the convincing factor because they put it on the line. They risked everything for this message. They followed God's way and they dismissed their own. It wasn't God's way and a little bit of their way. No, it was God's way. It was God's way. There's no self-preservation and self-comfort in the kingdom. And we've got to put it on the line. And what we've got to put on the line more than anything is our pride. See, it's amazing to me when you talk about pride, many people are proud that, that you don't have pride. <laughs> I've found it takes a strong person to humble themselves. And Now, before you dismiss this whole subject, let's go to the scripture. I want to go to the scripture quickly and define what pride is. I want to use three characters from the Bible and, and highlight these. Some of these I've gone over before, but I, I'm just saying right now, I believe we need God's grace more than ever. How many will say they need God's grace in their life? You know, I need God's grace. His grace is sufficient. And, and pride, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. And and humility puts a target over your life for God's grace. Number one thing with pride. Pride, number one, is trusting in your own strength. Pride is trusting in your own strength. In Mark chapter 14, story of Peter. Peter's a classic in the Bible because he always tried to do things in his own strength. I love the fact that he put it on the line, but sometimes he did it. Uh, you know, not doing it the right way. Here we, here we go. Mark chapter 14, verse 27. It says, Then Jesus said to them, All you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. But after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Jesus said to him, Surely I say to you today, even this night before the rooster crows twice, 
you'll deny me three times. But he spoke vehemently, I, if, if, I'll get that, if I have to die, if, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. I think Jesus was saying to Peter, what part of all don't you understand? All, all will be made to stumble. Peter says, oh, no, 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 not me. Not me. These weaklings, God, over here, these other weak, fickle Christians, new believers, they may stumble, but not me, man. I've been walking with you for some time, Jesus. You know, I know my Bible right now. But Jesus said, no, no, all will be made to stumble. And Jesus said, let me tell you, you're going to do it tonight. And you're going to do it three times. Peter's going, no, no, not me. Jesus says, there's an Old Testament scripture that says you will. Peter goes, no, the Bible's wrong. How many know that's pride? Right there. Uh, Let me show you a little more pride. In Matthew 16, it says, From that time, Jesus began to show the disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed and raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. How many know you've got to be feeling pretty good about yourself to rebuke Jesus? You've got to be feeling pretty good. And he said, but he turned to him and said, Peter, get behind me, Satan, for your offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, and you don't know my way, but the things of man. If that doesn't open up your eyes, Jesus looking you in the face and saying, get behind me, Satan, I don't know what will. You know, you've got to understand, right before this, Jesus had just changed his name from Simon to Peter. And he said, on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So going from Simon to Peter, and now Jesus is calling him Satan. I'm sure uh, Peter's going, man, I like Peter better. (laughs) But in a moment of pride, see, see, it's arrogance and it's pride to trust in your own strength. Do you realize when they came to arrest Jesus, One of the disciples cut off a soldier's ear. Take a guess who that was. Again, Peter, and he cut off his ear because he missed his head. You've got to understand, there's a garrison of soldiers there. Garrison, that's over a hundred. And here Peter thinks he's the man and he's going to take them on all by himself. You know, he's got, let's trust in our own strength. What pride does is it opens the door to the enemy. And it causes Peter to do something that's totally out of character. When Jesus is, arrest, Jesus is arrested and taken, he's in court and there's a fire on the outside. Peter does something totally out of character. You know, the strong disciple who's willing to take on a whole garrison gives in and denies Jesus to a teenage waitress. And he curses and he swears, I don't even know him. What happened? Pride opened the door. See, many mature believers fall into this trap. When you walk with God for a long time, 
you can be in danger of trusting your own strength to resist temptation. You, know, you go through a difficult patch. You know, things are happening. And you're not getting the encouragement you feel you need from other Christians. So what do you do? You isolate yourself. And it's there the enemy begins to attack you, attack you and you try and work it out by yourself. God's put us in a community for a reason. It's so that we'd humble ourselves and we'd find strength in the believers that He's placed around us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed, take heed, lest he falls. I mean, no, we're not, none of us are above it. And pride is thinking, I'm all right. I can do this myself. I've got to figure it out. No, pride is trusting in your own strength. Number two, pride is trusting in your own righteousness. Let's go to Job. Not Job, Job. Job in the Bible, many of us know, I believe God put the book of Job in the Bible to tell us that we haven't got it that bad. How many know when you're going through difficulty? I challenge to say none of it compares to what Job went through. You know, Job went through a whole lot. And, and God was having a conversation with the devil and saying, my, look at my servant Job, how well he's doing. And, and the devil says, well, he's doing well only because you put a hedge of protection around him. He's only worshipping you because you bless him. And, and God gives permission for the enemy to come in and attack Job, but not his person. So we're not going to read that, that scripture. You know, things happen. He loses his family. He loses his whole career, his job. You know, it's, it's tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy. You know, we think we've got a bad. You just need to go to Job and you get a good perspective. But for 31 chapters, Job has these three friends who show up and try and comfort him. Now, by the way, you, you don't want these type of friends. But in essence, in some ways, they do speak truth to him. They, they say to him time and time again, Job, are you sure you haven't left a door opened in your life? Are, are you sure there's no cause where you've allowed the enemy in and he's using it against you? And Job says, no, no, not me. I've done these things and I've done these things. And he makes lists of, of what he's done. And he said, I, I didn't say anything all this time you know, because, now, now, in this, I'll go back. Actually, there was a guy by the name of Elihu. Elihu comes, and he's observing all these conversations, and, and he's hearing what's going on, and he's thinking that they're going to come to the answer, but they never did. And he didn't say anything for some time because these were old, mature guys, and he thought they'd eventually stumble upon it. But eventually, he has to speak up because they're missing the whole thing. They're missing the whole thing. And Elihu, he comes in and he shows up and he speaks up. And in chapter 32 of Job, verse 1, it says, So these men ceased answering Job because he was righteous. Listen to this. He was righteous in his own eyes. Then the wrath of Elihu, the son of that guy of the family of Ram, who rose, uh, aroused against Job, his wrath was aroused because he justified himself rather than God. Elihu sets this up a little longer. In verse 8, he says, Surely you have spoken in my hearing, 
And I have heard the sound of your words saying, I am pure without transgression. I am innocent and there is no iniquity, no sin in me. How many know that's not true of Job? He would have had to be Jesus for that to be true. And it concludes a little later on. It says, I will ascribe righteousness to my maker. For 31 chapters of the Bible, Job is basically saying, hey, compare me to anybody. And you'll see that I'm a good guy, that I don't deserve all this stuff that's going on. I'm righteous. But Job wasn't. Not at the core. Yeah, he led an upright life, but he was only righteous because of God. And that's whom he failed to give credit to. And Job's pride opened the door. Mature believers fall into pride in this area when we get saved. Yeah, we know that our righteousness comes from God. But after a while, we've been walking with God for 10 years and 20 years, been in church a little while. We can feel righteous because of what we do. I go to church once a week. I lead an upright life. I'm not doing anything bad. Compare me to all those other sinners. Now, why is this happening to me, God? Why? Could it be because we're looking to our own righteousness rather than the righteousness of God? See, we're not righteous because of what we do. We're righteous because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. See, see, when you begin to believe and put your trust in your own righteousness, it's pride. It's pride at the heart of it. And Jesus said, it's like the Pharisee. He was in church praying. And the sinner came in and he prayed. And, and the Pharisee prayed, God, I thank God I'm not like those others. That's what Job was doing for 31 chapters. Compare me to anybody and I'm good. I'm all right. I'm not as bad as they are. Compare me. The only problem was that God showed up. And he said, I want you to do some comparisons, but here's the deal. The comparisons are not going to be between me, you, and others. The comparisons are going to be between you and me. Well, there's a challenge right there. And here's a few things that God said to Job. Verse 1, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by the words without knowledge? In other words, who is the idiot I'm talking to right now? Uh, that's what he's saying. He's saying, now prepare yourself like a man. I'll question you and you shall answer me. This is God to Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? And to what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? Yeah, he goes on, he says, Have you commanded the morning since the days began and caused the dawn to know its place? In other words, have you ever told the sun to rise, to come up in the morning? No, I don't think so. He goes on, he goes, Have you entered the treasury of snow? Apparently there's a treasury of snow. I never knew. But have you entered the treasury of snow? And have you seen the treasury of hell? Hail, not hell. There's a treasury of that too. 
goes on and he says, and what way is light diffused or the east wind scattered over the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that an abundance of water may cover you? Can you send lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Another version says, do lightnings come to your throne and ask when to strike? Wow. God ends with this. He says, would you condemn me that you may be justified? Would you condemn me? Would you get angry at me that you may justify where you are right now? Can you imagine God asking that of you? Here's the good news. Job repents. Uh, please hear me. Because this is big. Because a lot of mature believers today are still trusting in their own righteousness. And here's the point. A lot of them are righteous in their living. They believe in righteous living. But here's the deal. Living righteously doesn't make you righteous. Living righteously with good morals doesn't make you righteous. Only Jesus, only Jesus, only Jesus can make you righteous. Well, I've done the right thing. Nobody's always done the right thing. And pride is trusting in your own righteousness. Last one to finish off. Pride is trusting in your own wisdom. Pride is trusting, number one, in your own strength. Number two, in your own righteousness. Number three, in your own wisdom. Uh, remember, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are, what are they? They are higher than our ways. Well, we, we can think we've got to figure it out. We've got a 10-year plan. It's going to happen. No, his way is higher than our way. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Now, I want to take you to a passage where we you know, learn about Ahab. Now, Ahab was the king over Israel. Now, Ahab made a dumb decision and he married Jezebel. Now, now Jezebel in the Bible, she had 850 prophets who lost their head to Elijah. You know, Elijah put it on the line. Talk about risk. He put it on the line. He had a prayer meeting. He said, you pray to your gods, I'll pray to mine. My, my one will answer. And Elijah prayed a simple prayer to God, and sure enough, God answered, and he answered with fire. 850 prophets died. Ahab, he had 400 prophets, and he took care of them really well, so well. He, he wanted to take care of them well, so they would only prophesy good things. Now, I find a lot of people today surround themselves with people who just tell them what they want to hear. You know, we're, we're friends that confirm our, confirm our thoughts and, and justify our staying where we are. You know, Ahab had these 400 prophets whenever he needed a decision. You know, he treated them well, and they prophesied good things. You know, but Ahab, he was king of Israel, and he had this plan, and so he has this plan to go get this other place that had been taken from them. And he approaches Jehoshaphat, who's the king of Judah, now, Jehoshaphat, he was a good king. Ahab, a bad king. And Ahab has a conversation. And he says, come on, let's go attack the king of Syria. And let's get back Ramoth Gilead. That city, that, that should be ours. Now, Ahab, he knew that he couldn't do it alone. So that's why he tries to get Jehoshaphat on board. And King Jehoshaphat, he says, come on, let's ask a prophet what we should do. 
And so what King Ahab does, he gets the 400 prophets who's on his payroll and he gets them to prophesy. And sure enough, they say, yes, God will be with you. And Jehoshaphat says, isn't there any other prophets? Uh, Are there any other prophets? And let's pick it up from there. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 7, it says, And Jehoshaphat said, Is there there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we might inquire of him? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There's still one man, Micaiah, the son of, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. I hate all these difficult names in the Bible. I struggle with ordinary words. But listen to this. There's still Micaiah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. So they call him and they bring him out of prison because Ahab had locked him in prison three years earlier because he didn't like what Micaiah had prophesied. And so they go and pull him out of prison in verse 15, and then they came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver you into the hand of the king. So the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then he said, I saw Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep with no shepherd. And the Lord said, that these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I did not I tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Now, now Micaiah initially came reluctantly because his attitude was, well, whatever I say, you're going to do it anyway. So I might as well just tell you what, what you want to hear. Now, sometimes we've made decisions in our heart and we're just looking for somebody to confirm that decision. Mm-hmm. Rather than actually seeking out God's way and, and knowing it's God. You know, Ahab pressed him for a real answer. And if you read on the passage, Micaiah gives him a real answer. He says, don't attack the city. You're going to fail. Don't do it. Don't do it. So what does he do? He goes ahead and does it. Because he had it in his heart. It was in him. If it's in you, it's not going to be stopped. Your rage against all wise counsel. In Proverbs, you know, there's one of the most misquoted verses. It says, pride goes before a fall. That's not what it says. Now, listen to Proverbs 16, verse 18. It says, pride goes before destruction. Not just a fall. It goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride will take you down a path that will lead not just to a fall where you can get back up again. It will take you down a path where it will lead to destruction. And when we have pride in our lives, we're going to be destroyed. If we aren't destroyed, at least we'll respond with humility. I love God's ways of doing something. Sometimes He'll allow the attack of the enemy so that we'll cry out in desperation and we'll humble ourselves that we might experience God's grace. But if we don't humble ourselves, it leads, friends, to destruction. Some of us, you know, we go, God set me free. Uh, Yeah, He'll set you free if you humble yourself. 
I, I want you to think of it this way if you're dabbling with sin. It's like, like strolling in front of an oncoming bus. Oh. Uh, that's what you do when you dabble with sin. When you, you, you take a little bit of God, but you, you, you put your way, your thinking, humanistic thinking in the middle. It's like you're walking in front of an oncoming bus. You get hit by that bus, you're going to die. But do you know what God does? God in His grace and His mercy, He sees what's happening. And he, sometimes He'll push us out of the way. But what we'll do is we'll fall onto the ground. We'll graze our knee. We may even break an arm and we'll get mad. But what God was protecting us from was from destruction. He says, hey, you may have an injury, but I can heal that if you humble yourself. But what's important is that you don't get hit by this bus because pride, it will lead to destruction. I really believe for some people in this place, you're dabbling with stuff that you know is wrong. You know it in your conscience. You may have even people around you saying, come on, don't get involved in that rubbish. Don't get, and that God's coming. And if I can be that person who God uses to push your way out of that bus. Yeah, you may get some graces. You may get some hurt but it's going to save you from destruction. And if you respond with humility in your heart, God will come and He'll meet you with His grace right where you are. How does this relate to trusting in our own wisdom? Let's go to James chapter 3. James 3 verse 14, it says, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, again in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom, this wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. This wisdom does not descend from above. See, if we're dabbling in sin, in other words, chances are good that our conscience is already speaking to us. We may or, not, may or may not have had other people around us speaking to us, but anyway, we're not listening because we made a decision on the inside. And what happens? We start listening to wrong wisdom that's sensual, and as James puts it, demonic. We won't allow anybody to correct us because somehow we know better. We've been to university. We've read books. I know what's going on in the world right now. We read books more than we read the Bible and we don't know God's way and we're trying to mix our way with God's way and we've embraced a, a wisdom that's, cement, uh, that's sensual and ultimately has the power to oppress us through demonic powers. And what's happening? Pride is working overtime in our lives and the door is hanging wide open. Now, the good news today is in these stories, three characters, Peter, Job, Ahab. Peter and Job, they repented of their pride. Peter became the, the te New Testament leader of the church, preached to 3,000, well, in the, preached to a whole lot of people, 3,000 got saved. God used him mightily. Job, he repented and double was given back to him of what was lost. But Ahab, Ahab, he didn't repent. He went into battle against Ramoth Gilead and he was killed. And there was no coincidence either. See, what happened is Ahab disguised himself 
went into battle dressed as an ordinary citizen or an ordinary warrior and a random arrow, a random arrow went through his armor and killed him. How many know health and safety didn't see that coming? You can protect yourself all you want, but if you've got pride in your heart, you can embrace every wisdom of the world to secure yourself for your future. Money in the bank, I, don't, I live right, I don't do that, I protect myself, but you still can die. A random arrow, it wasn't random. See, when you've got pride in your heart, you've opened a door for the enemy. Now, what's the straightforward solution to pride? The third pride problem is trusting in God's wisdom alone, not the world's wisdom. Proverbs says this, 16 verse 25, it says, there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is death. Its end is death. Maybe all of this right now has overwhelmed you this morning. And you're thinking, oh, I got a lot of work to do in my spiritual journey. Here's the deal, you don't have to clean up yourself. You just need to come to Jesus. And you need to be convinced that He's the one who wants to give you the strength that you need. You can find righteousness, His righteousness. You can discover His wisdom. I want everybody to stand right across this place. See, what we need to do is just repent, change our mind. And say, God, I... I recognize your ways are higher than my ways. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. As high as the heavens are from the earth, so your ways are higher than mine. I want you to call out to Jesus and say, God, I want to follow your way. I want to be convinced of your way. Jesus said it like this in John 14, verse 6. He says, I am the way, the way, not our way, the way. The truth and the life. Not our way, I am that way. Come on, I'm talking to people right now. You got at a crossroads in your career. You need to see God's way. A career counselor, they may be able to help you, but ultimately you need to know the voice of God more than any other voice. He is the way, the truth the life. Nobody can come to the Father but through Jesus. Come on, it's Jesus. Jesus, some of you right now, you're needing wisdom. You can hear it from many different other sources, but the source you need to hear from today is Jesus. He sees the end from the beginning. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Come on, let's look to Him. Jesus, who's the way, the truth, and the life. How about just why we are lifting your hands And we do that as a sign of surrender. Because in the kingdom, surrender is the key to empowerment. It's when you lose your life, you find life. When you give it over to Him, you discover the fullness of life that God intended right from the beginning of time. And when we just right now begin to call out to Jesus and say, God, I wanna know Your way. Lead me in Your paths. Lead me in Your righteousness. God, I trust in Your strength. I don't lean on my own ability, but I trust you. And even right now where you need to repent in your mind, just say, God, I repent. I turn. Oh, where there's been pride, I renounce it in Jesus' name. 
I humble myself right now under the hand of the Almighty God. I humble myself that I might know your grace. God, I want to know your grace. God, I want to know your goodness. Come on, just right now, reach out. The Holy Spirit's here. I know He's working. Come on, something can shift in this moment in your life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, even right in this moment, your love has been poured out. Thank you, Jesus. You're arresting hearts and lives. Lord, right now, by your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. When we hear your voice, we're not going to harden our hearts. But we're going to turn to you. We're going to look to you. We're going to acknowledge you. We're going to worship you. Come on, just for a moment or two, would you just begin to lift up worship? Come on.